Well, I want us to get right into the scriptures this morning, and so turn to Hebrews chapter one, and and I'll explain why we're why we're why why we are there uh, this morning. We're <coughs> but I want I want us to continue seeing and delighting in the supremacy of Jesus Christ this morning. And this is what we've been singing about, and 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 we're going to culminate in coming and worshiping at the table this morning as we do that. But I turn to Hebrews one, and we're starting a, a short two week series uh, this morning, and we'll do it next Sunday based upon our our church's covenant. Um, now I realize when you hear something, a sermon series on the church covenant, that might not just really light your jets. And you think, man, this is going to be amazing. Uh, I, I get it. Um, but as we, as we talk about our commitments to one another in a local church, but, 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 but hang in there. Basically, most churches, almost all churches, they have two statements that, that, that those who join the church give agreement to. You have a doctrinal statement, which is a summary of what we believe together, and that's foundational. Then you have a church covenant, which is a summary statement of, of, of how we will behave uh, together in the church. And so by the very nature of a church covenant, it can seem very horizontal, because we're talking about commitments to one another in the church. How do we live together in the church according to God's Word? That's what the church covenant is dealing with. But I, but I don't want you at all in any way to think that how we function as a church is disconnected in any way from Christ and His radiant glory. That it's not that, it's not that Jesus is front and center in our theology and our doctrinal statement and He's just kind of that watermark in the background when, it, when we start talking about how we relate to one another in the church. No, not at all. We can't even begin to think biblically or, or to, to, to think biblically about the church or live rightly as a church without Christ being the blazing center of everything that we are. And so you just look at the imagery in Scripture of the church. What is, how is the church described? It's a flock, but there is one chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Or it's a body and there is one head, Jesus Christ. It's a building and Jesus is the cornerstone. It's, it's the, the, the church is the bride and the marriage and Jesus is the bridegroom. That Jesus is the vine and we're the branches that, that abide in Him and, and get our life from Him. So you take any of those images and you take Jesus out of the picture and it just falls apart. You just have a bunch of sheep wandering around. There's no flock. You, you, you take the, the building and you take away the cornerstone and it's just a pile of lumber on the ground. I mean, so you take, you take any of those images and the, the point of those is that we have no real identity as a church apart from Christ. And so I know as we think about the church, we're going to talk more about this, it's easy to think just sociologically almost, and, and whether we realize it or not, we say, oh, it's a group of people, we gather together, we have common interests, and we, we, we get our minds instructed, and we have you know, social circles. That's not the essence of what it means to be the church. The church is, is called out people who are in union with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to see. And so every, how, we, how we trust in, how we depend upon, how we become like Jesus is everything in terms of how we function as a local church. So this is, so I want us, Hebrews chapter 1, and we're, we're building to, uh, to our discussion on the church covenant, but um, 
Hebrews 1. The letter of Hebrews was written to Christians who were suffering very intense persecution and were being imprisoned for their identification with Jesus Christ. So in some ways there are similarities to 1 Peter, but at this point it's, it's much more overt. I mean, you have governmental opposition to Christians. And so these believers are encouraged in spite of despite their hardship, despite the persecution, God will not abandon them. This is the encouragement that comes to them through Hebrews. So, while we don't know the specifics about the original recipients of this letter, we're not going to go into a lengthy introduction because we're just, they're not starting Hebrews in here. Uh, we, don't, we don't know where they were located exactly, but we do know uh, that, that, that they had, a, they were very familiar with the Old Testament. And so they were most likely Jewish uh, believers, and this is why the letter is called Hebrews. And so the author writes this, what he calls brief. Uh, that's not that's his words, not my words. In the last chapter, 13th chapter, he says, I've written briefly to you uh, this exhortation. And he writes this brief exhortation to believers primarily to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That, that He alone is worthy of their trust and their confidence and their hope and their devotion. And so this is what He's doing. And so the letter begins with this introduction. And this is why we're in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. But quickly, we're just going to read the first three verses. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. So, so Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the, he's the one through whom the world was made, and heir of all things. And then in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature. I mean, it's just loaded language, showing the the the... the that, that Jesus is God. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So Jesus is the, the God-man. He's the Son of God. And He goes on, After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So He's the crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord. So this is just, that's the introduction. And then throughout the remainder of the letter, He goes on to make His case for Jesus' unrivaled superiority. And so you see just kind of the breakdown of this letter. His, his nature is better than that of the angels. And this is where he goes next. His, and then his deliverance is better than that of Moses. His priesthood is better than that of Aaron or any other priest that's ever been. It's an eternal priesthood. And then last, you see in this letter, his sacrifice is better than that of animals. It's, he's the perfect sacrifice once for all, final sacrifice for sins. And so this case has been building and building throughout this letter and that, that Jesus is supreme over everything and everyone. And then you get to chapter 10. So fast forward. I know we're just skimming to the end here. But turn to chapter 10 and verse 19. And you have this turning point in the letter. And so he's building this case of the supremacy of Christ. And then you get to verse 19 of chapter 10. In light of who Jesus is... Therefore, alright, so you see that turn in the language. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great High Priest over the house of God, oh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he's making this case throughout this letter. Christ is supreme. His sacrifice is enough. He's opened the way for us. Trust in Him. Your only hope's in Him. And then he gets in and says, Oh, we have confidence now in Christ. One of the greatest encouragements in the book of Hebrews to these just uh, beaten down and bruised believers is that we are people who can be at rest in Christ. We have access to Him. To God through Him, the former way that these Jewish background believers there, the former way was one of of utter exhaustion, always trying to be to to do well enough, to perform enough sacrifices, to do them in the right way, to 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 obey enough, to to labor to be good enough. This was the whole system. This was the whole pattern. The writer saying, "Don't don't be tempted to go back to that." Instead, rest in Christ and what, who He is, what He's done for you. We have, you look at the words, assurance of faith, confidence in Christ. Even though you live in a hostile world, even though you're being persecuted and it looks like everything's against you, it's like Romans 8, all the world's conspiring against you, but you are safe in Christ. You know, this new and living way has been opened to you by His blood, through His flesh. And there's an encouragement, uh, this is kind of a side road in Hebrews, but there's this, there's this hope of this future final rest in eternity when we'll, we'll be at rest forever. And, but but, the, but the, the writer isn't saying that's just a future. No, you can be a church at rest now. We should be. We, we, shouldn't, be, we shouldn't ever go back to that performance-driven life that we left when we trusted Christ. And so this is one of the great realities that comes out of this letter is that the church is to be at rest. We're no longer striving to kind of earn our acceptance before God. No, Jesus has done it all. We're going to sing this in a moment. He paid it all. And so since we have this rest for our souls, okay, that's context. We have this rest for our souls. We have forgiveness. We have access to God. We, are, we have union with Christ. What should we then do? Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. We're to hold tightly to this reality of of what Christ has done for us and He secured for us. Hold on to the promises of our faithful Lord, especially when everything around us seems against us. He's saying, hold fast to this confession of hope. There's this, brothers and sisters, there's this constant undercurrent that's pulling us away from the shore of rest in Christ. And it's and, and, and what he's accomplished for us, and it's pulling us back into that rip current of performance driven religion and moralism. And as we get pulled farther and farther away from that that shore of rest in Christ, the sharks of doubt are just having a feeding frenzy out there. And they will, they will, they will 
you, and you will be attacked. And that's what these believers were dealing with. They're beginning to waffle and they're beginning to, to beginning to doubt. Because there's so much opposition and, 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 and so this is why he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. No, Christ has done it all. Don't, don't, don't waffle on that. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. The one who promised is faithful. And so he encourages them, he encourages us because we've, because we've been given all of this on account of Christ, again, by His blood, through His flesh, We've got to hold fast to this confession. And so, to cling to the promises of God as we're called to here, what do, we, what do we provide? We're given God's Spirit. We're given His Word. And then in the, and what, he's, what He really focuses on here is we're given His people. His church. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another how to, let, excuse me, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So how do we unwaveringly hold fast to this confession of our hope? It's through our life together as a church. This is how it happens. It's not just about Jesus and me. The Christian life is fundamentally corporate. So the local church, and we may think like this even uh, without realizing it, we, we can think that the church is kind of a, a safety net for those rare times when, when, when I just can't quite hold on by myself to the promises of God and I, I, need, some, I need the church to, to, to give me a little help. That's not, that's not it though. I mean, look at the text. It doesn't say, let me hold fast to the confession of my hope. But if I start losing my grip, I can, I can always get a little help from the church. That's, that's not it. No, this is a corporate endeavor from beginning to end by God's design. We hold fast to the confession of our hope together. This is why we're gathering together. This is why we're here worshiping together. This is why we're remembering Christ together. This is why we're here considering ways that we can stir one another up to love and good deeds and why we're encouraging one another together in the context of the assembly. We need deep, enduring, gospel-rooted relationships as a local church if we're, if, if, in, in order to hold fast to the promises of God. This is what it is. And so that's a, that's a very lengthy setup for this little sermon series on the covenant. But I, 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 it's necessary because it shows the importance of involvement in and commitment to the local church. So we need that vision of why before we start talking about what and how. And so from God's perspective, what happens in this local body, in our gatherings, it's not just horizontal, social, religious activity. I know it can seem that way to us at times, but you, you don't need Christ, you don't need the Gospel to do what many people are looking for from a church. Many people are looking for kind of a safe place for their kids and kind of an alternative for their family, uh, you know, life principles... Uh, to get intellectually stimulated, social connections, you can go to any number of websites or social organizations and find those things. There's something unique about the church and the assembly 
that it only makes sense and is only possible because of Christ and His Gospel. What's happening here is God's people are holding fast to Christ and His promises together. That's what this is about. You and I walk in here week after week, or maybe you flee in here from something, or you crawl in here, or you're dragged in here sometimes perhaps, and and you, you come in, and we come in, battered by waves of doubt and unbelief, bruised by trials that we've walked through during the week, weary from just our struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we come in here, and together we look to Jesus and we resolve once again together to hold fast to the confession of our hope. This is what we're doing. Every Lord's Day we read, we sing, we preach, we, we, we pray, we rehearse, we testify to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And every time we're together, whether it's in the, the large assembly, whether it's in Sunday school class or small groups or ladies' Bible study or men's Bible study or coffee meetings with one another, every time we're communicating with one another and praying for one another, we're, this is part of what God is using to help us cling to Christ and His promises. Because the undercurrent is pulling us away. It's pulling us away. It's pulling us away. It's all about Jesus. Everything we've we've committed to as members of a church, it's about Him. And so our relationship to one another is because of Jesus. The the new and living way that's been opened to us, the barrier between us that's been broken down, the, the, the union that we have with Jesus Christ. So it's all on account of Jesus that we're connected to one another. Everything we're called to do is about seeing Jesus formed in us more and more. And it's not about self-improvement. It's not, it's not just for your families. It's about Christ being formed in us. And everything we're called to do is only possible by dependence upon the Spirit that Jesus has provided. And so we need that vision again if we're going to, 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 to live rightly together as a church. And so, alright, we get, we get to the to the to the what we're really focusing on here this week and next, talking about our church covenant. Now, as we talk about a church covenant or a member covenant, I realize that not everybody here this morning is a member of Barak Bible Church. So I'm mindful of that. Not yet, anyway. Well, no, that's just kidding. Uh, This is not an attempt to coerce you to do anything. That's not the point of this. We have members here. We have long-time attendees. We have folks that are fairly new to the church. and, And we have... Folks that are maybe here for the first time, visiting friends, family members, that kind of thing, or you just popped in today. And so we thank God for each and every one of you. We're glad you're here, and I pray that, that uh, God's Spirit would minister to you through His Word today in, in wonderful ways. And so, so as we talk about our member covenant, as we, covenant, as we recommit ourselves to, to, to these biblical exhortations, I don't want you to think that there's very limited application here, and it's just for church members or something like that. And that's not the case at all. As we work through this today and next Sunday, what we're really seeing, and my prayer has been, that we'll all grasp better what it means for the church to be the church. And that's, that's what we want to see, and that's something we all need. And so, we, we hear, I hear a lot today uh, talk, both in church circles and even just in the broader culture, about the, the desire for community. That's a very popular word today. And there's an expressed longing for close relationships and a variety of reasons for that. But 
I don't think many of us understand what's necessary to cultivate that kind of community and closeness of relationships. We, we talk a lot about community, but we're somewhat allergic to the idea of commitment. And those two are inseparable. Um, and so the, the very nature of relationships is that re- they require commitment in order to flourish. And so a church covenant is simply a summary of what God has called us to as a church. It's the commitments that we, we've, we, we've made that He's called us to as a local church body. And so we're going to walk through these by way of reminder and recommitment uh, today and, and next Sunday. And one of the things that you'll see as we go through this is, 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 is you notice the language of the church covenant and the wording here, it's, it's, which is just dripping with Scripture. These are not like our ideas, like we think this would be a really good idea, this would keep our church together. No, we're just trying to summarize what the New Testament calls us to as a church. But one of the things you'll see is it requires active commitment. It's not passive. I mean, this is... There are these two dual realities that we see in the letter of Hebrews. We saw this in First Peter, and we see this really throughout Scripture. Is we're, we're a church at rest, since we're not, we're not, our salvation is secure. We're not trying to earn, achieve. That's not it. We we can we can rest in the Lord. We have this wonderful promise, and and we can can be at rest in that. But we're also a church at work. Those are not competing realities. They're, we're not passive. We're actively clinging to Christ, cultivating relationships, praying, making disciples, resisting the devil, and all these things. So, But this is what I want you to see. We work out of that place of rest. We don't try to work ourselves into a place where we can be at rest in Christ. Do enough so we can feel like we have assurance before the Lord. That's, that's backwards. We have rest in Christ. It's done. And we, from that, we are very active. And so, God is the one who, who is at work to grow us and to keep us, but we are also called to actively pursue growth and mission and sanctification. And so the wording in our covenant that you'll see is, it's the words like actively pursue, strive, engaged, cultivate, promote, sustain, and on and on. Alright, let's get to it. Let's really begin unpacking uh, what God has called us to together. So, um, we don't have uh, handouts for you. I'm going to have the wording for the section we're looking at on the screen. And uh, you, you're welcome. If you, wanna, if you won't be too distracted, you can pull out your phone or something like that. You can go to our website. And if you, I think it's new to, new to Baraka in the little button up there and about us and our church covenant is there listed. And you can look there. But the, the introduction to the covenant says this. And this should be on the screen. There we go. Thank you. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on profession of our faith in Him, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and enabled by the Spirit to walk in righteousness, we most solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with one another as members of the local church called Baraka Bible Church, part of the one body in Christ. Now, Just a couple quick observations from that introduction. One is we are joined together ultimately because of sovereign grace, not because of personal choice. Um, the reason you and I are, are in church together, in the church together, is not because we just happen to make a choice to attend or join the same, the, the same place. But ultimately and primarily it's because we are joined together in Christ by the grace of God. 
This is His doing. We're led by the Holy Spirit into this union. We are vitally, fundamentally, and spiritually in relationship with one another um, if we are in Christ. And that's just, a, that's just an objective fact. There's nothing that we do to create relationship with one another. Uh, we're not, that's not what the covenant is doing. That's not what membership does. It doesn't make us in relationship to one another. If you are in Christ, we are objectively one body in Christ. Jesus is our head. That's just an objective fact. What all we're doing in a covenant in membership is we're just clarifying how that relationship should function on a local church level. We're not creating it, we're, we're clarifying it and trying to cultivate and grow that. Second observation, the church is made up of baptized Christians. That, that, that it's because of the powerful working of God's Spirit in our lives that we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are... We are it's the grace of God at work in us, causing us to be born again to a, to a living hope. And, and so then as believers, we're baptized. And so I just say it's not just, it's not just, um, uh, just a, a decision we make. No, this is, this is all, again, it's coming from the grace of God in our lives to, to make us new creations in Jesus Christ. And then the, a, a third observation from this introduction is these commitments can only be kept with God's help. It's by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Any ability to, we have to fulfill these biblical responsibilities is not attributed to, ultimately to us and to our willpower, to our morality. It is to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And, so, and, and this is the encouragement. We do have the Holy Spirit. And He will and He does help us. You're, you're here today and this is evidence of that Spirit's work in your life and in my life. All right, as we get into the, the, the first paragraph, uh, there's eight paragraphs in this member covenant, and the first one says this. We will actively pursue sanctification and holiness through our obedience to the Scriptures and our Lord Jesus Christ through faithful Bible reading and study, prayer, personal, family, and corporate worship, ministry to others, and witnessing to the lost. So if I could summarize it, uh, don't feel like you've got to write all that. You can look down later. But if I could summarize what we're saying there is, is we will actively pursue growth in Christ through every means that God has given us for that pursuit. That's what we're committing ourselves to. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I think we get a good sense of, of what we're talking about here. But this is, this is um, part of what we're committing to together. It's... It's growth. It's sanctification. First Corinthians, First Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter four, verse one. Paul says to this to these believers in this church. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now, I I, I was thinking a lot about this yesterday, this passage, and looking over it and making observations. But it's easy to read over a passage like this and and kind of see that as filler. It's just a phrase, yeah, it's just, you know, in the Lord Jesus, and yeah, he's, just, he's just trying to give emphasis or something. No, don't skip over that. We urge you in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is front and center in this. That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For we know what instructions we gave you. Look at this little prepositional phrase. Through the Lord Jesus. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Alright, stop there. So let me just, a couple observations from this text, and then we'll make a few more statements. One, sanctification, growth, it is, it is all about the Lord. It is all about the Lord. It's not about our pursuit of self-improvement, self-betterment. Our growth is, just look at these little prepositional phrases throughout here. It's in, it's from, it's through, it's to, it's by, and it's for the Lord. This is so so clear in this text. But we tend to think horizontally, not vertically, when we think about growth. So some of the ways that that shows itself is we, we, we create these kind of man-made standards and goals. We start looking around us, looking at other people and, and looking at other people's convictions and other people's preferences and, and the way they, their, their rules. And we start looking around and the way they dress and the way they act. And we, and we start, start comparing ourselves to other people. So we, we, we can either feel feeling really good about ourselves, like, man, I'm a lot better than those people. I mean, look at them. Look at the way their, you know, their family's functioning. Look at the way this, they're, they're doing things and what time they get to church and, you know, what, and how, how worn their Bible is and all those kinds of things. So we have these little standards and, and, and we can begin to judge other people and we can elevate ourselves and feel good. Or we can do the others and we can just be, oh, it's so hopeless. I look around and everybody's it's doing so much better than me and so much, so much purer and more moral than I am. And, and their lives are just this, you know, like they belong in a museum and I'm just a wreck all the time. And so, but, but this is, we often want to stack ourselves up against other people. We have this horizontal standard when we talk about growth and sanctification and things like that. But if we turn that standard vertically, then everything changes. We, we realize how far we all are from arriving. And, and the reality is, then that no longer becomes the goal of arriving at some you know, spiritual plateau of, of, of growth. That's not the goal anymore. We, we see how desperately we all need grace. And we revel in it. And we, we depend upon it. And, and rather than striving to just kind of become better versions of other people around us, we press into Christ more and more. And, and we become, in turn, more and more like Him. As we draw on Him, as we cling to Him. So you, you see that difference. So that's one thing I think it's clear in this text. It's sanctification. It's, it's all about the Lord. It's about Christ. Second, sanctification is a group effort. It's how He addresses them. Brothers, plural, and sisters. 
We, we together ask and urge you, plural, y'all, we could say. And, and even in our church covenant, we're not saying, I will or I commit. No, we're saying we, together. This is, this is a group. Another thing you notice in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 there is there's this connection between holiness and love. Those are not, those are not unrelated. No, relationships matter. So, so I'm all about pursuing holiness. I just don't care about the relationships and with one another. No, that's not optional. The means of sanctification is generally going to be also, we could say, corporate. We've talked about this already in Hebrews 10 there. But this gathering is a part of it. This table, this the preaching of the Word and being together and these things. So another observation from this. Sanctification is not passive. It's not just let go and let God and show up to church and everything's going to be everything's going to get no you look in this passage there's walking and doing and abstaining and knowing and controlling and loving there's it's it's active it's not grim duty it, it's it's joyful grace infused gospel rooted activity though it's busy and there's this kind of holy discontent that we should have not a guilt-laden shameful kind of discontent but but that we need to we need to do so two times in this passage more and more excel even more in these things so we there's a longing that i just ask is your life is, is is our life together as a church are we marked by an active pursuit of christ or, or, or are we characterized by simply trying to pursue uh, morality or by, by maintaining an image? Or are we marked by just kind of existing, just kind of keeping it together and keeping the doors open and keeping the, the machinery running? And, and no, we, we need to be availing ourselves to all the means that God has given us for, by, for transforming grace and pursuing Christ together and growth in Him. Word, worship, the ordinances, all these things, and so, or, or do you do you tend to view the church as simply a uh, a place to go, um, and a weekly activity, a weekly event on your calendar? Or Christianity is just kind of kept in this well-defined compartment of your life, and and you pull it out once a week, and you you focus on that. No, we we need to resolve. Greater to, to we, we, we need greater resolve to grow more and more in our knowledge of Christ and in, in, in becoming like Him. This is what we're saying as we commit this together. Second paragraph in our covenant. We'll take probably this one and one more this morning. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but will faithfully participate in our church's worship, preaching, teaching, and prayer services. We've looked at this in some way already in Hebrews chapter 10, but it, I just summarize it this way. We will, we will, we're committing, we will meet habitually with the assembled church and fully engage in its worship. That's what we're saying. And so again, Hebrews 10 there, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I realize in some of your translations, it may look like verse 25 is a, it, it contains this command. Don't forsake the assembly or something like that. It, it may be stated as a command, but that's not 
a command in the, in the original language. And the command isn't to love or to do good works. The, the controlling verb in this passage is to consider. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So that the idea of that is when you say consider, you're, you're giving thought to something. This is not, if, if you don't give thought, it's not going to happen. And so we must take control of our minds and to, and to begin to train them to, to, think of, to think about, to consider other people. Consider ways that we can help people grow in love and, and, and good works. And in what context does that possibly take place? Well, he tells us it's in the assembly. It's when we gather together. And so he modifies it with that part. He said, well, not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. That habit was not just in their day, it's, we know this is in ours, but listen, one of the things we see is when people begin to move to the fringes of church life, and I realize I'm probably talking to the choir here since you're, you're here, but as people tend to move to the kind of the edges of, of body life, or if they drop out altogether, um, the focus is generally not on, it's not because they have this focus on the Lord or on other people, it tends to be as you begin to talk with them, and I know it's not a, it's not a, it's a shame, but it, 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 they tend to be very inward focusing. So it's things like instead of instead of asking and thinking, how can I use, how can I be used by God to stir up others in love, in the church, they they start to think like, eh, my needs aren't being met. Um, this church is it's not it's not friendly. It's it's unloving. Um, I, I don't like the way that they fill in the blank. And, and, and so you, you see that subtle shift. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, we, 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 we must because we, we have it's so important that we cling to, hold fast to the confession of our hope. Oh, we've got to consider ways in which we can stir up one another in love and good works. And, and in order to do that, we cannot neglect assembling together. And so we need to be here. We need to be considering ways that we can stimulate one another because, again, we now that together we've got to hold fast to this confession, hold fast to the promises of Christ. Some, just some implications of that and, you know, for us. One, we could say it this way, you are your brother's keeper. You may not think that way, but it's true. For the church body to be healthy, every member has responsibilities toward other members, other parts of the body. It's not just the elders' responsibility or the staff pastors. It's, it's not the deacons. It's, it's all of us. We all have responsibility to one another. Second, one of the main ways you stir one another up is simply by showing up. And again, you're here, so good for you. So thank you for being here. And this is, this is a ministry we have to one another. I, I've, I've heard it attributed to a lot of different people, a lot of different preachers, but I always say Chuck Swindoll, he's said something like 80% of our ministry to one another is simply showing up. And, and so we can do that. Yeah, you did it today, so thank you. Um, but, but in small groups and staying in Sunday school classes and being engaged in conversations and in, 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 during snack time, adult snack time, and, and, uh, and being at the well on Wednesday nights and in, formal, in, in, in informal ways, this is part of our, our ministry to one another, being present. Third implication is just when you do show up and you're here, uh, when you meet with the assembly, be fully engaged in it. Be all in. Um, minister to others. Pay attention to people. Look for those that are kind of on the edge and alone. 
Uh, consider. This is where that considering comes in. Consider ways in which you might stir up others in love and good deeds. Sing with gusto. Uh, give with gratitude in your heart, not grudgingly. Listen with eagerness. Pray with deep, dependent faith. Uh, serve with joy and humility. And so this is this is this is part of our ministry norm there. Just just be all. Be here. Get here early. Stay late. Just be all in. Body, mind, emotions, everything. When we gather together, engage yourself fully in the corporate life of the church and in in this assembly. That's part. That's all part of us again, holding fast to our confession of hope. Third paragraph, and we're going to end here, and we'll come to the table. We will use our talents and gifts for the service and edification of the body and be fully engaged in our church's ministries, humbly submitting to its leadership and obedience to Scripture. To summarize it in this way, we will humbly and sacrificially serve one another using the gifts that God has given us. Now, we've spent a good bit of time in 1 Peter in chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it, uh, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, multifaceted grace. And so God has given you spiritual gifts, uh, supernatural gifts, and He's given you natural abilities. All of those are by His grace. And, and, and we need to be good stewards of that varied, multifaceted grace and using those things to serve one another. And so the, the gifts that God has given you are not for your own and my own self-promotion, or personal development, they're for serving the body. Paul says, for building up, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ. So now, we can't control uh, the distribution of gifts. <laughs> we, we, that's not up to us, but we can, we are responsible for how we steward the gifts that God gives us. And, and they're not ours, they're, but we're responsible for how they're used. Others need our gifts, and we need the gifts that others have. That's, that Paul makes much of this throughout his New Testament, uh, throughout his letters, this interdependence upon one another in the church. And we're many members of one body. Um, and so, one of the things that, as we start talking about the, the gifts, and we have different gifts, and the, all these gifts are needed and useful, is is the church is not... It's not them. And I know we talk about us whenever we're speaking glowingly of the church. But whenever we can slide into kind of a critical spirit, and even this pastor can do that, it's easy to start thinking about them, the church. I don't like the church the way the church does this, as if we're like outside looking in. Well, I'm, looking, I'm thinking, wait, oh, I, excuse me. I, I don't like the way we do this. <laughs> I am part of the church, and so and so are you, and so uh, so so don't think the church doesn't do this. Baraka doesn't. I don't like the way they do this. No, we're the church. There's there's all kinds of things that obviously that we need to grow in, and and areas that we can we can be stronger in, and areas and sins that we need to confess. But it's it's got to be we. It's got to be us, not them, you, and so. So just be mindful of that. I think that's one of the implications of this. The other thing I'd just say is that be careful not to mistake busyness for good stewardship and ministry. I know it's easy to think, you know, hey, I've got all these meetings and all these, my agenda's full with all these church stuff and 
the, the, the core of our work is people work. And so it's the, it's the body ministering to one another, pulling green. But are, are, you using, are you using your gifts uh, to serve the body? The church family, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking. We have in the bulletins now. There's a tear off slip at the bottom of the, the the bulletin, and one of the boxes now, which is new for us, is just I'm interested in ways I can serve. I forget how, exactly how it s- says that, but we take that seriously, and so we're we want to uh, begin to uh, make clear what are some opportunities for service in the church and some of those are formal ways we need we need help in this area of the ministry and and other times it it may not be like yeah here's a title or something like that but you say i want to be i want to be useful i say hey there's a person they're new here they just moved here why don't you call them take them out to lunch see how we can how, how we can serve them how can you pray for them and so just engage them it may be something more informal like that but again this is using our gifts to serve uh the body well, we could. We're going to continue on next week, and, and and through through the church covenant. And one of the things that is, is is again is very clear is as we as we begin to talk about how we relate to one another, it all comes back again to Jesus. So one of the passages that that makes those connections so clear is in Philippians chapter two dealing with how we relate to one another and rooting it into what God has done for us in Jesus. Philippians 2, Paul says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and here's the command, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then we get to Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being Found, being, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we come to the table and we do so together, we don't come as individuals to meet alone with you. We come as a body um, together. I pray that you would make us in, help us to come in full accord and of one mind and and we would we would have the same love and we would come not in in humility and we would come ultimately though looking to to Jesus looking to you together and so set before us Christ and him crucified and um, draw uh, the focus of our church to Jesus help us as we come to the table to together cling to the confession of our hope For you who promise, you're faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.